Hi there, this is Yolanda. I'm sharing with you the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832 to 1914. We've reached the end of um, the book and we're on page 480 under the Appendix D, which is entitled Images of Joseph Smith III Disclosed in His Letters by Richard P. Howard, Church Historian. And we're under, under the current heading, Openness to Reposing or Differing Views. Um, and we're continuing with the words of um, Joseph Smith III in a letter. Let me continue. If all differences of opinion are to be construed into contention, how shall unity be reached? The elders have long been fighting the one-man idea and contending for the sacredness of the personal right to think and act. And why should we now object to what must always be the result of individual thinking, diversity of idea and conclusion? If we saw all things exactly alike, the argument would be almost irresistible that the field of vision was very limited or the range restricted by personal inability to see much or see far. Wise men may differ, but wise men do not quarrel because they so differ. Wise men change when examination and wisdom show change to the to be either advantageous or necessary. Saints Herald, volume 37, February 15th, 1890, page 97. Joseph III followed this same balanced approach to individuality and diversity in his letters. The De Jason Briggs debacle of 1877 to 1886 weighed heavily on Joseph. For at its heart was the tension between individual freedom of opinion and the need for cohesion and solidarity within the body of Christ. By early 1880, Briggs was prohibited from functioning in his apostolic office by action of the General Conference. Joseph, convinced that God was not yet done with Jason, put forth a hoped-for solution to the difficulties and then stated a principle underlying his proposals. I can suggest a consistent compliance with the demands of the conference, one which, were I Jason, would set this thing at rest at once. It is this, a statement that it having been decided by his quorum and the conference that he has transcended his duty or privilege as a representative of the church, he bowed to the decision and would as such representative conform to the rules of the church governing her elders in his future ministry and the expression of a desire to have the restriction of silence removed would in my opinion infringe no rule of honour he or any other could hold this holding individual conscience and individual superior to organisation is a mistake I acknowledge the right of conscience and believe it's in its in its exercise, but to allow that to dictate to and dominate the rights of fellowship and ignore the bonds of association, I cannot. If a man wants to retain and exercise all his individual rights, let him get by himself, where his elbows and knees will not hurt his neighbours. Joseph Smith III to William H. Kelly, January twenty second, 1880, RLDS Archives. The balance between individuality and social accountability is nowhere in Joseph III's letters 
made more lucid than in his counsel offered to Brother John Burline of North Freedom, Wisconsin branch, in a letter written on July the 7th, 1882. The troubles in North Freedom branch had persisted and festered to the point that a committee appointed by the General Conference had gone there to investigate and report back to President Smith. Now Joseph gives his local prescription for the local malady, but in terms of much wider significance and applicability. My instructions and advice are that in all your intercourse with men and brethren, you will do well to consider that they are just as honest and conscientious as yourself, and that in question of what is right or wrong, where you differ from them, it is possible that you may err, and it is not becoming in an elder to be too positive and too arrogant in such cases. In all cases, all differences of opinion, where the decision of your brethren is against you, be as ready to yield a cheerful obedience to the will of the majority or those whom you know to be in authority as you would expect them to be were the situation in your favour. Do not take it for granted that because a man differs from you he is going to be the bad or is moved by a wicked spirit. Be patient when men differ from you and calmly weigh all that may be said. When you make an appeal to any tribunal accept the issue cheerfully as an elder for the master study to be diligent and zealous according to knowledge be faithful in seeking divine direction and be not hasty to condemn anyone exhort but be courteous and if your exhortations be not at open productive let me start that again. Exhort, but be courteous, and if your exhortations be not at once productive of the good you desire, do not denounce them who fail to heed you, but wait until time gives force to the wisdom of your words. Be sure to think that you know only a part, however great, of all that is to be known, and bear patiently with those who know but little. Opinion of law is all that most men express when they insist upon the law. Do not place your opinion above those whose duty is to know, nor undervalue the law itself. In acting as an elder for Christ, bear in mind that man cannot of himself declare the truth successfully if Christ's will should be the language of every man's heart, and if he fails, it will be because he trusted in himself. In speaking of any cause or case in which others are interested, speak of them as you would wish them to speak of you in similar conditions. Do not imply improper motives for the act of a brother because a foolish act or word resulted in partial wrong. You have made mistakes and so may they, and not all wrongs are so because they were intended to be. Many things have been said and done with a good motive that resulted bad. Be not anxious to rule, and when ruling, be careful to be generous as well as just. Those whom you know to be weaker in spirit than you, bear with and strengthen. Those stronger may take care of themselves. So think and do, as an elder and a man, that the master's cause may be helped, not hurt. Preach forbearance and practice it. Teach virtue and regard for others, and then exhibit those qualities in your example that teaching and example may be a force together. You cannot force any to believe the gospel, or that you are a man of God, and can only show the latter by a godlike walk and conversation, nor can you compel men to adopt your view of right by forceful disputation. 
You can no more force others than you can force you. Joseph Smith III to John Beerline, July the 7th, 1882, letter book 3A, page 48. Joseph's openness to the views of others, different as they might have been from his own, took practical turns. As he expressed this openness to the church at large, he must have challenged his people to a broader view. Now and then the issue arose as to whether the saints should open the sanctuaries and pulpits to representatives of other religious traditions. Joseph was plain spoken about it. My decision is this. It is inconsistent and impolitic to build a house for public use in any community anywhere in America in the building of which the sting of prejudice and the stain of proscription is boarded upon it by a resolution of exclusion from the occupation of its forum and the proper conditions of time and circumstances, and to ask any community to help build a house, the, the use of which is to be ostensibly free, but from which some portion of that community is specifically excluded is intolerant, and to my mind, not Christian. All should be permitted to help build a house, and all be free to its use under proper conditions. Therefore, I should favour allowing the spiritualist friends to have the same privilege of use as is extended to the M.E., the Presbyterian, Congregational or any other sect. Is that plain enough? Personally, I have a strong feeling amounting to aversion to speak in any house built by us as a people over whose pulpit there hangs a banner of proscription to admit any a free pulpit and a, an open bible is my bot motto and banner joseph smith III to charles w burr july the 7th 1894 letter book 5 pages 352 to 353 on one occasion at least apostle w h kelly wrote joseph some unsolicited counsel relating to joseph's decision to go to w to washington dc although his letter has not survived he must have apologized for being so presumptuous as to offer counsel at his own initiative in response joseph reassured him i appreciate your counsel and thank you from my heart it is not officious nor obtrusive but frank and to the purpose and opportune I have borne some burdens so much alone that I seldom think to ask anyone to help shoulder them. But when a man steps out of the ranks and offers me a lift fairly, I appreciate the act and the heart that prompts it. So do not fear that I will resent or misunderstand what you wrote. Like Paul, I consent to it, that it is good advice and sound. With Shakespeare, it jumps with the humour of my thoughts. Happy New Year to you, Joseph Smith III to William H. Kelly, January the 4th, 1883, RELTS Archives. In April 1884, Elder Salian D. Shippey, President of the Branch at Hersey, Michigan, wrote to Joseph Smith III as follows. We are told in Book of Covenants that we are not to administer the sacrament to any saint we know to be in transgression. Please let me know by return mail if you consider card playing a sufficient transgression to withhold the sacrament from a member for and what steps to take with them for it and oblige your brother in Christ. Joseph's handling of this situation demonstrates his openness to what others might have thought as Joseph would not have known in advance what position other church officers might want to take. I enclose a letter from a part of your spiritual domain which I have declined to answer 
and have referred Brother Shippy to you for two reasons. One, that I could only express an opinion as there was no rule of the general church in the premises. The other, that being in your field, a possible difference of opinion might occur, creating useless contention. My opinion is that card playing is in moral turpitude the same as chess, checkers, croquet, authors, dominion or domino, fox and geese or any similar game. Sinful only as valuable time, which should be otherwise employed in wa- is wasted. In itself, time and place being proper, it is no crime. This would not suit some. Joseph Smith III to William H. Kelly, April the 24th, 1884, Royal DS Archives. The reader will note that Joseph Smith III remained silent on the matter of whether card playing per se was in his view grounds for being denied the Lord's Supper. His course in the matter would have given Kelly and presumptuous, presumably Shippy, some food for thought not alone on Shippy's original question, but on the whole question of the meaning and value of time, and its use as a measure of one's life and discipleship. A final aspect of Joseph Smith III's openness to the views and feelings of others touches on the matter of forgiveness. A central dimension of forgiveness is the capacity within the forgiver to sense truly the whole situation of the forgivee, to move graciously and without condescension or patronisation to heal past breaches, to open up the future possibilities of the relationship. The following letter, shown here in its entirety, captures clearly the concept of openness as forgiveness in a way that is difficult to to comprehend fully. Here is the fruit of the gospel in action on a winter's day in Plano, Illinois. Having written you several times in reference to the note I hold and receiving no reply of any sort, I conclude that you do not care to write me. I have concluded further that you either cannot or will not pay the remainder. I therefore enclose the note to you, giving you my reason, or giving my reason. If you cannot pay it, it is useless and unkind for me to keep it at a constant increase of interest. If you do not wish to pay it, I could not collect except at the distress of both and an additional final expense to you. That would be useless and unjust. Besides this, if the latter be true, I should feel badly as often as I saw or thought of the evidence of your indebtedness left in my hands. As for the rest, I have no wish to cause any disruption to your Christian fellowship and brotherly regard. For unless I change in feeling, no brother shall ever feel that I put his fellowship and standing in jeopardy in personal cause. I have none but the kindest, kindliest feelings for your success, spiritual and temporal, as a fellow suffering bonds. I enter the return of this note on my memorandum and there it rests. I am in bonds. Yours, Joseph Smith. P.S. If I have in former letters written anything offensive, please pardon Joseph Smith III to Isaac F. Scott, January the 7th, 1881, letter book 1A, pages 209 to 210. This brief essay cannot begin to lay claim to have set forth comprehensively the multidimensional personality of Joseph Smith III on the basis of this selective glimpse into a few items from his past correspondence. But given the limits of space and the intent to heighten interest in the life and memoirs of the remarkable first prophet president of the reorganisation, perhaps the reader will now 
with renewed gratitude and interest, peruse more thoughtfully the reflections of this truly wise and kind Christian leader. If that happens, two other things will transpire. The Latter-day Heritage, the Latter-day Saint heritage will have taken on a deeper impact of meaning and value in the church of today and what that church will do in the future will exceed the fondest hopes of recent years for that is the meaning of heritage god's people embrace their heritage and are embraced by it and out of that interaction they become a covenant people of the cutting edge of god's mission in the world end of appendix d and end of the memoirs of Joseph Smith the third. I will read the index of the memoirs of Joseph Smith the third, eighteen thirty two to nineteen fourteen. Guide to the use of the index. The use of A B C A B or C following the page number indicates the column in which this specific item appears. When no column designation is given, it may be assumed that the subject is mentioned in all three columns. Itilised page numbers indicate a photograph, for example, page 484, column 1, Anderson, Peter. In cases where last names only are used, these last names are given separate entries unless the content of the text makes it quite certain that the person being referred to is the same as an entry for which the complete name is supplied. For example, Austin Benjamin, page 104 and page 130. Name him as Benjamin Austin, while page 79 calls him Brother Austin. Both page 79 and page 104 state that um, he was a member of the church in Nauvoo. A check with the text shows that the Austin of page 79 could not be John Austin, since there are no other Austins mentioned and, and locality, etc. Point strongly to the fact that Austin of page 79 is the same as Benjamin Austin. The entry was so placed. On page 486, column 1 of the index, in the case of Brunson, this was entered by itself, even though it may well be one of the Brunsons listed, but there is not sufficient information to be certain. Joseph Smith memoirs, 1832 to 1914, chronology of 1832 to 1838, page 1 to 2, Kirtland, Ohio. 1838 to 1839, page 2 to 5, Illinois and Eighteen thirty eight to eighteen thirty nine, page five to seven, Commerce, Illinois. Eighteen thirty nine to eighteen forty four, page seven to thirty eight, Nauvoo, Illinois. Eighteen forty four to eighteen forty seven, page thirty eight to thirty nine, Nauvoo, Illinois. Eighteen forty seven to eighteen forty eight, page thirty nine to forty five, Nauvoo, Illinois. Eighteen forty eight to eighteen fifty, page forty five to fifty, Nauvoo, Illinois. 1856 to 1869, page 51 to 56, Years of First Marriage. 1862 to 1864, page 94 to 101, Conferences. 1869 to 1896, page 57 to 59, Years of Second Marriage. 1859 to 1865, page 72 to 114, Nauvoo, Illinois. 1864 to 1865, page 101 to 114, Conferences. 1865 to 1868, page 114 to 134, Plano, Illinois. 1868 to 1875, page 134 to 141, Conferences and uh, General Church Work. 1876, page 160 to 173, Trips to Salt Lake City. 1877, page 173 to 180, Incidentals and Illness of David. 
1877 to 1879, page 180 to 181, politics. 1878, page 182 to 184, conference in Toronto and debates. 1879, page 185 to 187, publishing venture and death of Emma Smith. 1880, page 188 to 194, missionary work and Kirtland Temple title. One, um, sorry, 1881, page 194 to 197, move from Plano to Lamoni and New Herald Building. 1882, page 198 to 206, Anti-Mormon Convention, Chicago, Independence Conference. 1883, page 206, 209, Kirtland Conferences and Missionary Work. 1884, page 209 to 215, Conference, Dissension and Book of Mormon Manuscript. 85, page 215 to 260, Incidentals and Missionary Work. 1886, page 261 to 264, Dissensions and Withdrawals from the Church. 1887, page 264 to 267, Incidentals. 1888, page 267 to 273, Missionary Trip to California. 1889, page 273 to 300, Missionary Trips to California and Utah. 1890, page 300 to 304, Visit to Nauvoo. 1891, page 304 to 309, Death of Bidamum, E.L. Kelly, Bishop. 1892, page 310 to 317, Temple Lot Suit. 1893, page 317 to 321, Travel in the East, Lemoni Brick Church, Dedicated. 1894, page 321 to 327, Graceland College. 1895, page 327 to 329, Travelling in Midwest. 1896, page 329 to 338, Death of W.W. Blair and Bertha Madison Smith. 1896 to 1910, page 60 to 61, Years of Third Marriage. 1897, page 338 to 350, Meeting with Church of Christ, Travels in Canada. 1898, page 350 to 356, Travelling in Midwest. 1899, page 350 to 362, Trip to Colorado, Travelling in East. 1900, page 362, 3 to 367, Missionary Work in Canada. 1901, page 367 to 376, Dissension over Herald Editorial politic Policies, Trip to California. 1902, page 376 to 382, R.C. Evans and F.M. Smith, Councillors to President. 1903, page 382 to 410, Trip to England. 1903, page 127 to 128, Second Trip to Washington. 1904, page 410 to 416, Travelling in Midwest. 1905, pages 416 to 430, Travelling in Northwest and Canada. 1906, pages 430 to 432, J. Smith moved to Independence, Missouri. 1907, page 432 to 442, Herald House destroyed by fire, trip to Hawaii. 1908, page 442 to 448, Missionary Work in Canada and New England. 1909, page 448 to 450, Albert A. Smith ordained counsellor to president. 1910, pages 452 to 460, Jubilee Conference honouring Joseph's 50 years. 
page 464 to 471, Revelations 1861 to 1906. And then there's the index um, for you to peruse and search words and names and places thank you for joining me um, i will be commenting more and sharing more of the words of um the, of president joseph smith the third um in other publications i hope that you've enjoyed learning about joseph smith the third and um i wish you well in your life thank you for listening and for joining with me bye bye for now